Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Hi, everyone. Good morning. I'm really nervous. I'm somewhere between like wanting to run to the bathroom and vomit and then just like having just like a panic attack right here. But it's okay because we're just going to give each other grace in this. You know, it's going to be good. (laughs) If you don't know me, I'm Ashley. Brian and I moved here, moved to Chicago six years ago to plant Missio Day. And this is my first time getting to speak to you guys this morning. Um, So when Brian asked me a few weeks ago if I wanted to talk to you guys, it was like something I knew that I was supposed to do, but there was still that part of me that wanted to say no. But I'm standing before you today, like not sure of what I'm doing. So just try to hang with me. (laughs) Um, If you're new to Missio Day, we're in the middle of a series called Becoming the Beloved. In the Gospels, when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, it says that the heavens were opened up. And Jesus saw a dove descending on his, saw the spirit of the Lord descending on his shoulders like a dove. And he said, this is my beloved son in whom my favor rests. And so how does this translate to you and I being the beloved? Because of our faith in Jesus, we then are adopted as beloved daughters and sons of the Most High. So when we talk about the beloved this morning, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about how we have been called the beloved as well as children. Over the past two weeks, we've been pressing into this. A couple of weeks ago, Brian talked about the, um, in Luke, or John, it's in John, um, where John and Jesus and the other disciples, they're sitting around the table, um, and, you know, Peter, like, calls over to John, the beloved disciple, and says, John, like, ask Jesus who is going to betray him. And so John leans back into Jesus' chest and asks him who's going to betray him. And so Brian's whole message was about how we as the beloved should lean back into Jesus. And then last week, um, he talked a little bit more about how we become the beloved, which is through our heart and how our heart is transformed through practices. And he gave a lot of practical um, just application for us last week. So this week, we're going to be in a familiar parable for probably a lot of you. It's the parable of the prodigal son, or as I like to call it, the beloved sons and the compassionate father. I know that a lot of you have probably heard this passage so many times, especially if you grew up in church, but I hope that maybe this morning you can have a different perspective so and get something fresh from the passage. Um, so let's go ahead and dive in. Um, you're going to see up on the screen... Um, this paint, you really can't see it, I don't think. Can you guys really see this? No? Okay, just take out your smartphones. This is where you get permission to be on your phone in church. <laughs> take out your phones and um, Google Rembrandt's Prodigal Son painting. And I want you to just um, look at that. I know that we usually stand for the reading of God's word, but since I'm up here already mixing things up, I'm just going to mix it up more and have you guys remain seated. And I want you to just look at this painting. Um, Sadly, as beautiful as a painting it is, I think Rembrandt forgot that the parable was set in like a Middle Eastern culture versus (laughs) like a European culture. But nonetheless, like hopefully we can just take a look at this, try to look at the light in the photo, like imagine where you might fit in in this photo or painting, I should say. Okay, here we go. 
Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, let me have the share of the estate that will come to me. So the father divided the property between them. A few days later, the younger son got together everything he had and left for a distant country where he squandered his money on a life of debauchery. When he had spent it all, that country experienced a severe famine, and now he began to feel the pinch. So he hired himself out to one of the local inhabitants who put him on his farm to feed the pigs. And he would willingly have filled himself with the husk the pigs were eating, but no one would have let him have them. Then he came to his senses and he said, how many more of my father's hired men have all the good food they want and more, and here I am dying of hunger. I will leave this place and go to my father and say, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired men. So he left the place and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with pity. He ran to the boy, clasped him in his arms, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the calf we have been fattening and kill it. We will celebrate by having a feast because the son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the older son was out in the fields, and on his way back, as he drew near the house, he could hear music and dancing. Calling one of the servants, he asked what it was all about. The servant told him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the calf we had been fattening, because he has got him back safe and sound. He was angry then, and refused to go in. And his father came out and began to urge him to come in. But he retorted to his father all these years, I have slaved for you and never once disobeyed any orders of yours. Yet you never offered me so much as a kid for me to celebrate with my friends. But for this son of yours, when he comes back after swallowing up your property, he and his loose women, you killed a calf we'd been fattening? The father said, my son, you are with me always, and all I have is yours. But it was only right we should celebrate and rejoice. Because your brother here was dead, and has come to life. He was lost and is found. Pray with me. Lord, we come before you this morning, Father, reading your word, reading this parable that you've told Jesus, and we just pray that you would give us new eyes to see this morning, God, new ears to hear, that you would speak to us in a fresh way, Lord, that we would feel the love of the Father this morning, and that we would know that we are the beloved on whom your favor rests, in your name. So let's dive in and start breaking this down. Let's start with a younger son leaving home. In that time, to ask for an inheritance early was unheard of. Typically, the son would receive his inheritance once the father had passed away. So the fact that the son is asking for this inheritance, it's, it's so rude. Like, it's just rude and... It's terrible. Like, he's basically saying to his father, like, you're already dead to me. Sorry. Like, I just want my inheritance that you have to give me, and I just want to go on my way. 
So I just wonder, like, in him wanting this inheritance and wanting to leave, like, what got him to this point? Like, what voices was he listening to? What were the lies that he was believing? And so the father gives the younger son his inheritance, and within a few days, the son leaves and goes to a distant country. So I'm going to pause for a second and kind of talk about this distant country, because I think there's more there than it implies. When I think about the son leaving and going to this distant country, I think about the son um, breaking off, like breaking free and removing himself from his family and his culture, all the things that had been handed down to him from generation to generation. He was saying, I no longer want this life. And so he leaves. So that he leaves, and of course things don't go as planned, because usually when we try to leave, things don't go as planned. So things hit rock bottom. The consequences of his choices catch up to him. He has no family. He has no community. He's broken. He's starving. And the, the people there, like, they won't even let him eat the pig's food. And so somewhere in the midst of this brokenness, the younger son comes to his senses, and he recalls a few things. He recalls his father. He remembers he has one. He recalls his father's care and how his father cares for his hired men. And he recalls his brokenness. And he just acknowledges that he's actually a son of the father. And so as you, he comes up, the younger son comes up with this um, repentance speech that he's going to give to the father when he arrives. And if we look at that speech, I can't help but feel like the younger son is like entangled in shame. Um, And I say this because the younger son crafts like a self-serving repentance that offers the possibility of survival. He doesn't say, um, you know, he says, I'm no longer um, deserve to be called your son. Just hire me back as a servant. So in his returning, he didn't believe that the father would receive him back as a son. He thought that he would, like, pardon him in terms of, like, letting him have food and maybe giving him a place to sleep, but he wouldn't be restored back to a sonship that he had. And I think it's interesting how, like, we put limits on the father's love for us. We put limits and we put conditions on the love that we receive. Does this sound familiar to anyone else? I mean, I know that I put limits on God's love for me. Um, I'm going to read a quote um, from Instagram. Yes, I'm using Instagram in my sermon. Um, (laughs) The other week I was, you know, scrolling through my feed, and I came across um, Juliana Zobrist. If you don't know who I'm talking about, she is uh, Ben Zobrist is her husband. If you still don't know who I'm talking about, then you're probably not a Cubs fan, and that's okay. Just ignore the reference. Um, But she had her quote, she said, being loved is being seen and accepted without requirement. After all, to place conditions upon the beloved is to forsake love altogether. And it was a beautiful reminder of the conditions that I put on the Father when I come back to him and how I can receive his love and the measure at which I can receive it. And so let's look at the father's response in this when the younger son comes back. It says, the son begins the journey, and the father sees him from a long way off. That kind of tells me that, like, the son was, or the father was looking for him. I mean, how do you see someone just from a long way off unless you're, like, looking and waiting and watching? So I feel like the father was waiting for his son to return. 
And as soon as the father sees him, it says he was filled with pity. He was overwhelmed with compassion and sorrow for his son and the suffering that he had endured. So the father would have been very old in age. He would have had a long garment or robe on. And it says he ran to his son from a long way off. And I can just imagine this old man like lifting up his garment with his old hands that are just wrinkly and just trying to clasp that garment and just run. And I can just hear his like sandals hitting the dirt. And then he gets to his son and they embrace. And that's where we can go back to Rembrandt's painting where I feel like time stood still in this painting. It's not the son running. It's not the father running. It's just this moment frozen where you can see this emotional embrace. And I think it's beautiful. If you look at the son's garment, his shoes, you look at the light, you look at the father's face, it's absolutely beautiful. Like it's been a hell of a journey for the younger son and you can see it in this painting. The son offers his self-serving repentance that we talked about. And I think he was just expecting this harsh judgment from the father like we, I think we expect a lot of times for our choices or, or behavior, whatever you want to call it. Um, but how does the father respond? <laughs> like you see his hands on the shoulders of the younger son. Like the father lays the hands of blessing upon the son and he pours out his love over him. Can you imagine I feel like the journey home must have been so much emotional turmoil. Like, what is the father going to do? Like, how is he going to treat me? Um, I just, it just must have been really tough. And then the younger son gets to this moment, and I don't think it happens the way he expected at all. I think it happened quite differently. And so we see the compassionate father says, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the calf that we've been fattening and kill it. You will celebrate by having a feast because the son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. The compassionate father responds with blessing, calling the son back to his beloved sonship and then throws a celebration. You know, sometimes I think when we kind of wandered away from God, we kind of see our coming back as like, I don't know, God's like posture trust is like, glad you finally came back. I've been waiting. Like we almost feel like he's annoyed with us, you know? And scripture tells it quite differently. Like it says that he celebrated, like he poured out his immense love on the son and, he, and the father celebrated his return. It's a joyful celebration. I love this quote by Henry Nouwen. It should be, it might be up here. Yep, I think that's it, yep. A blessing goes beyond the distinction between admiration or condemnation, between virtues or vices, between good deeds or evil deeds. A blessing touches the original goodness of the other and calls forth his or her belovedness. And it's here that we see the father is touching the younger son's original goodness and he's calling forth his belovedness. The hands of blessing are upon him and the father is pouring out love upon love upon love. The younger son is fully known and fully loved in this moment. What a beautiful moment. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. And I always thought of this passage as like a salvation passage. You know, it's like, I don't know, I just grew up hearing it. It's like the, the parable that like gets you to come to know Jesus type of thing. But I think about it and I'm like, I don't think that that was the case. Like the son was already with the father. 
in the land of the blessing. Like he knew the Father. He knew his voice. He dined with him. He, he embraced him. Like he was already with the Father before he left. So again, my question is, like, why did he leave? What caused him to leave? What voices was he listening to? What lies were he believing? I'm going to take a drink of water to slow myself down, guys. So when I think about my life and where I might fit into this story, I think about the father in the parable as my spiritual home. And I think about how many times I've left my spiritual home. Because whenever I lose faith in the one that calls me beloved, I become wooed by the loud, demanding voices of our world, and I think that it has something better to offer. And those voices become loud, and I no longer hear the voice that calls me beloved. So when Brian and I were on sabbatical this summer, this theme of becoming the beloved was really close to my heart. And some of you know me really well, some of you don't know me, but my journey with Jesus has kind of been like an up and down journey, which I think is kind of true for a lot of us. Um, There's been some like really awesome mountaintop peak experiences where I experience his love and his goodness. And then there's other times where I feel like I'm in the valley and it is low and it is dark and it is despairing and it's hard. So throughout my journey, there's been countless times that I've forgotten that I am the beloved. I've forgotten that I'm the beloved daughter of God on whom his favor rests. Anyone else battle the voices of insecurity, self-rejection, unworthiness? Anyone else have those stirring around constantly? It's hard. When, I was in Cali- when we were in California, I feel like I was able to experience some of the most beautiful, like, landscape. I mean, it was just absolutely beautiful, like one of the mo- most majestic places on earth I've ever been. And I just was in awe of God's creation, like literally speechless. It was absolutely stunning. And I was standing on these huge cliffs, like overlooking the Pacific Ocean. And I had read, um, I'd read several books over sabbatical, and in one book it had recalled G.K. Chesterton's quote, and as I'm looking over these cliffs, over this cliff and over the ocean, I, my mind went back to this quote. And I'll read it for you. It's kind of long, so bear with me. Because children, having abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, For we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. So remembering this quote as I'm looking out over the Pacific Ocean, I just kept imagining God commanding the breakers of the sea, saying, do it again, do it again, do it again, like every wave that rolled in. And then the voice that calls me beloved became louder and louder within 
and I begin to embrace how much more the Father loves me than this majestic ocean that I'm watching and that he's commanding. And I'm reminded that I'm the beloved on whom his favor rests. So then instead of imagining God commanding the breakers of the sea, do it again, I began to hear God saying to me, like, you are the beloved. You are the beloved. You are the beloved on whom my favor rests. And then the voices of insecurity and self-rejection and unworthiness became quieter and quieter. And then the only voice I could hear was the voice of the Holy Spirit that calls me beloved. And the voice of the Holy Spirit doesn't tell me I'm unworthy, doesn't tell me I need approval, doesn't tell me that I'm somehow damaged. No, that voice tells me that I'm fully known and fully loved. Just as it is in Psalms, it also says that I've been crowned with glory and honor. So the Father was touching my brokenness in that moment, and he was putting it under his blessing. Any parents in the room actually love bedtime? (laughs) Seriously. I hate it. I hate it. It feels like the dreaded routine every night. Brian and I, like, part ways, and usually he takes the girls, I take Jude, and then we meet up at, like, 930, and we are just, like, exhausted, you know, We complain, we grumble how long it took each one of them to go to sleep. But there's a little thing that Jude and I do at night when I put him to sleep, and it's Jude kind of created it, so to speak. He's almost three, if you're wondering his age. Um, But he likes for me to sit right by his bed and put my arm around him, and he likes to get up and down and, like, nestle his face right here, (laughs) like next to mine. And he likes to say, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. And guys, he will say it over and over and over again. And if I say, what do you need, buddy? Mommy's here. Like, he will still say, mommy, mommy, mommy. If I'm like, Jude, Jude, mommy, mommy, mommy. And it's not until I respond in a certain way, at a certain volume, with a certain love in my voice that he will stop. And it's when I respond, Jude. And then he will stop, and he will lay down, and he will go to sleep. And it's because he knows that voice. That's the voice of love. It's not the voice of frustration of putting my kid to bed. It's the voice of, like, my mom loves me, and she's here with me. And so I think about, can, can you hear the voice of the one that called you beloved? Do you know that voice? Because it's not really a loud, boisterous voice. It's more of a quiet soft, tender voice. And there's a lot of other voices in the world that kind of clamor on top of it sometimes that we can't quite hear it. I think as human beings, we experience brokenness. It's everywhere. Look at our city. We can't escape it. There are many types of brokenness, but I want to focus on inner brokenness this morning, specifically like brokenness of the heart. And I'm referring to like the deep, dark places where our deepest fears lie, our deepest anguish, the emotional pain that we experience, the self-rejection, the unworthiness, loss, rejection, separation, neglect, abuse, all of those. Like our natural response as human beings is to run away. It's fight or fight. Run away somewhere else, but do not embrace this feeling that is so painful. And I think when we continue to run away, I think that we can become paralyzed. It leaves us feeling paralyzed. 
And so I kind of want to offer a different approach this morning. I want to offer that if we befriend our brokenness rather than running away from it, then we can take a step towards healing. And I know that seems crazy. Like we live in a culture where you don't feel pain, run away from it, keep pushing on, like push it down, keep going. Um, But I think if we can embrace our inner brokenness and we can acknowledge the voices that are speaking lies over us, then we can place that brokenness under the blessing of the Father. And I think that his voice is quite different, and he has a lot of different things to say for us. So we can speak God's blessing and truth over our brokenness, calling forth our belovedness because we are dearly loved children of God in whom his favor rests. And I think it's here that we can experience some form of joy in our brokenness. Um, I think because we're no longer allowing that brokenness to define who we are, I think that we're defining the brokenness and we're drawing near to the voice that calls us beloved. I think Nowen puts it beautifully in this quote. Um, Let's see, yep. The great spiritual call of the beloved children of God is to pull their brokenness away from the shadow of the curse and put it under the light of the blessing. This is not as easy as it sounds. The powers of the darkness around us are strong, and our world finds it easier to manipulate self-rejecting people. But when we keep listening attentively to the voice calling us the beloved, it becomes possible to live our brokenness not as a confirmation of our fear that we are worthless, but as an opportunity to purify and deepen the blessing that rests upon us. The Father sees our brokenness, and he embraces it. He is forever waiting for us, like with outstretched arms. I don't think he ever brings his arms in. I think he's just always like this. Just always like ready with outstretched arms and like waiting for us to come back so that he can celebrate over us. In Rembrandt's painting, again, you can look at your phone or look up here. I don't know if you can see, but the father's robe, like his red robe is kind of like hanging down. And there's something about that in the painting that, like, takes me back to, like, the imagery that David paints in the Psalms of God being our refuge, of seeking shelter in him, of hiding under his wings. The Father is a place of safety for us, and I think embracing the blessing that he has spoken over us and the brokenness that we experience as the beloved, I think doing that is really important in becoming who we say we are. And I think as friends and family, like, well, let me go back. Sorry. Back to blessing. Um, I don't think we can hear blessing enough. I think there's a lot of things out there that have, like, there's, like, negative voices telling us, like, you're not enough. You didn't do this well. You're a failure. Just this constant, like, judgment and criticism. And I think as a a church family, I think that we can choose to participate in that. We can choose to, like, speak cursing over one another, so to speak, with our pride and our judgment and our criticism. Or we can choose to speak blessing over one another. And we can choose to call forth one another's belovedness by speaking God's love over one another. Like, when was the last time that someone spoke blessing of God's love over you? Seriously. Anybody? Like, when was the last time that you received that? I don't think we receive it a lot but I think we should. John Ortberg says, blessing and cursing are not compartmentalized Bible words at all. 
They are simply the two ways that we treat people. They are as inseparable as breathing in and breathing out. There's this story that I want to share with you guys from Henry Nouwen's book. I know I keep referencing him. I'm just really enjoying reading him, like all of his books right now. But he's, he's a priest, and he lives in this home of handicapped adults. And they come together once a week for a prayer service. And every week when they come together, he does a blessing. And on one particular evening, Janet, who was part of his service, came up to him before the service, and she said, Henry, I want a blessing. And he was like, of course, Janet. So he takes his finger, does it on her forehead, makes a cross, and gives her a blessing. And she said, no. I don't want a routine blessing. I want a real blessing. And he said, okay, okay. And he began to see the routineness of what he was doing with giving blessing over these people. And so it came to the part of the service where he got to the blessing part and he said, told everyone in the service, he said, Janet has asked me for a special blessing. And so unexpectedly, Janet stood up and came to Henry and hugged him, embraced him, which is unexpected. And Henry hugged her back. He had on this long robe and it just kind of covered her. And he began to speak blessing over her, calling her the beloved daughter of the king, reminding her how much God loves her and how he has created her in his image. And then this like blessing, everyone needing blessing just erupted. Everyone else in the service was like, I want a blessing. I want a blessing. Like, what about me, Henry? <laughs> and it was just beautiful. This, like, beautiful reminder that we just can't hear enough, like, that God loves us and that we are his beloved. Like, we just cannot hear it enough. So what does this mean for us today? The story of the prodigal son, talking about being the beloved, talking about blessing, talking about brokenness. I think it's important for us to acknowledge our wandering and leaving as the beloved. I don't know if you can think back to the painting, and maybe you see yourself somewhere in that painting. I don't know. Maybe you don't. Um, but I think that there's areas in our life where we're listening to voices that are not the voice that calls us beloved. And I think it's important for us to know that and to embrace it and then say, this isn't who I am. Like, these voices are telling me someone I'm not. And when we can do that and we can then speak God's blessing over us, who we really are, then I think that is how we are not just the beloved, but we are becoming the beloved, if that makes sense. Band, you can go ahead and come up if you'd like. Um, going back to the story of Janet, maybe this morning you need to hear God's blessing prayed over you. Maybe there's a lot of voices in your head telling you that you're, you're not loved, you're not worthy, you're not good enough. God's favor doesn't rest on you. And maybe you need to come up and you need to be reminded that you are the beloved and that God's favor does rest on you. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you're like, what the heck is she talking about? Like, what is this beloved Jesus? Like, what is all this? Then we have people up here that you can talk to to get 
to know more about that and know what it means to become the beloved. Maybe you don't need a prayer blessing over you. Maybe you need to just recognize your, the areas of brokenness in your life. Maybe you just need to take a moment and like press into that pain and acknowledge it. We didn't even get to the older son for time's sake, but um, maybe you're more like the older son. Maybe you've done all the right things. Maybe you've made all the right choices. You, you're, you're doing all the right things, yet somewhere you're filled with like pride and bitterness and anger because you're so tired of trying. And maybe you just need to realize that like becoming the beloved is not trying. Like you are the beloved because what has already been done for you. So we're just going to have a time of prayer up here. Um, I know someone's going to lead communion in a little bit. But even after you take communion, if you just want to roll around, we're going to have like leaders up here. And we would just love to pray a blessing over you. Um, and I, I just want to be clear, I'm not thinking of this blessing as like a financial blessing or a blessing of health. This is a blessing over you of who you are as God's child. This is your identity. Pray for us. Lord, we come before you. God, laying our brokenness at your feet, knowing that we are fully known and we are fully loved. Knowing that we are the beloved on whom your favor rests. God, I pray as we leave here today that we would be able to seek out that voice that calls us beloved. That throughout our week, that it would get louder and louder and louder. And that it would call us to a deeper and deeper place with you, Jesus. Jesus.